All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. Hello, New Tech City listener. Have you ever tried to sit down and read something, maybe a novel you grabbed at the airport or a story in The New Yorker plucked from that pile next to your bed? Anyway, you tried to read it and you just you couldn't get through it. Well, recently, this happened to Mike Rosenwald. One night, a few months ago, I was reading the new Laurie Moore short story collection and I found myself sort of jumping and skipping around much like I do when I'm scrolling through my Twitter feed or Facebook feed. He couldn't focus. The words, the characters, they just weren't coming fast enough. He found himself skimming something that he really wanted to read. And it occurred to me, you know, I'm starting to do this a lot. So I called a couple friends and I said, hey, do you notice, you know, that when you're reading, you have a harder time sort of paying attention? And they're like, oh, my God, this is totally my life. You're listening to New Tech City. I'm your host, Manoush Samarodi. And on this episode, how the shift from paper to digital has caused a gigantic change in how we read or we don't read and what this means for the future of the written word and how we think. Tablets and that, you know, it's like not even a half century. It's a very young medium. And I my hope is that its imperfections would be addressed to such a point that the medium would no longer be of any difference. That's Maria Popova, the editor of brainpickings.org. And you'll hear how she turned her labor of love into a wildly popular literary website by becoming the best reader out there. You're going to hear how she does it. First, though, let's go back to Mike. I was stunned and deeply sort of disturbed. He was stunned by his inability and his friend's inability to read a book without skimming. So you may know Mike, actually, by his byline at The Washington Post, Michael Rosenwald, staff writer. And Mike just, he wanted to understand what was happening to him and his friends. And as he did his research, he learned that reading doesn't actually come naturally for human beings. There are no genes. We don't have any genes for reading. You know, reading is an acquired skill that the brain learns. We have genes for vision and and recognizing characters. But the idea of reading is not something the brain comes with. Humans had to work hard to turn language into pictures, then symbols, eventually words. In the old days, before the Internet, for the most part, reading was a linear event. You looked at a magazine, you looked at a book, you looked at a menu, you looked at whatever, and you pretty much read it uninterrupted and you could flip the pages. And that's the way reading has gone, you know, since they were writing on walls in caves. But the Internet 
introduced this idea of nonlinear reading. And that's this idea that it's very easy to jump around. There are hyperlinks. There's all sorts of things sort of flashing at you. So here I am. I'm sitting here. I'm talking to you. We're having this lovely conversation about reading. And my Twitter screen is giving me a constant flow of information. Mike's not unusual. Research firm eMarketer expects each of us to spend five hours and 46 minutes with digital media that's like on your phone, your laptop, wherever, every single day. Ideally, we go back and forth between reading on screens and reading books or other kinds of print. And ideally, our brain shifts modes depending on what we're looking at. And it's all good. There can be two or more different ways of reading, and the way we read have different consequences and different ramifications for whatever situation we're in. See, Mike's brain, and maybe yours, has been giving him a hard time. It finds skimming so much easier. So that's what I think is the problem here, because there are things in our lives, whether they be novels, short stories, mortgage documents, whatever, that actually need our slow reading. Slow reading, the old-fashioned way but also knowing when it's okay to skim and jump around online. It's called a biliterate brain, but it's not that easy to maintain. And Mike says this is where Marianne Wolf comes in. She is the person. I mean, she's a genius. I'm Marianne Wolf. I'm the director of the Center for Reading and Language Research at Tufts University. Marianne is the author of Proust and the Squid, the story and science of the reading brain. But her groundbreaking book was published seven years ago. And as we've just heard, reading has changed a lot since then. So when we reached Marianne, she was hard at work on an update. But unlike Mike Rosenwald, Marianne did not have her Twitter feed streaming by in front of her. I'm perched above Lake Annecy, and it's in the embrace of the French Alps. (laughs) So many of us just in our daily lives have noticed this change in how we read. What is sort of the latest research? It begins with the fact, Manoush, that our brain makes a new circuit for whatever is new to it. And reading is very new indeed. So the brain has made a new circuit out of its older parts to adapt to different writing systems. And now with screens to different mediums, she says. So you see in eye movement research, people like Lu. She's referring to Dr. Zimin Lu, a professor at San Jose State who does research on e-books. We've got a link at newtechcity.org. People like Lu who are saying that skimming is the new reading in much of his research, that the human brain is in fact adapting almost too well to the particular attributes or characteristics of internet reading. Okay. I mean, that is the key here, right? Yay, brain, you can adapt. But whoa, you're adapting too well to the pace of the internet. Marianne Wolf is saying, use your ability to slow read or lose your ability to slow read. So the reality is that our research is beginning to show us that there are various aspects of the reading brain circuit that are changing along with the amount of time that we are spending on the internet and digital reading. Is it too simplistic to say that reading online is making us dumber? So it's not about whether we will become dumber. 
It's whether we will allocate time and have the quality of attention necessary to read with all our intelligence. That's my real worry. I don't worry that we will become dumb because of the Internet, but I worry that we will not use our most preciously acquired deep reading processes because we're just given too much stimulation. That's, I think, the nub of the problem. So I know people listening to this are going to say, well, so tell me what to do. Prescribe. (laughs) What do you do? Do Do you know, Manoush, one of the most amazing experiments I've ever done of late was on myself. But it was a rather disquieting and and actually emotional experience for me. I went back and I reread one of the most beloved books in my own life history, which was a very difficult book by Herman Hesse called The Glass Bead Game. And Manoush, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't slow my reading down to really allocate sufficient attention to what is basically a very difficult and demanding textbook. I'm sorry to say that I had changed along with everyone else. Now, here's the real problem, and I believe the solution. What I found was that by forcing myself every day for no less than two weeks to read and read again this novel, I finally came back to myself. But I had to learn how to read. It was as if to read in my old way. So I think the evidence someday will be able to show us that what we're after is a discerning biliterate brain, a child who knows when to allocate attention to those deep reading processes and when simply to play and move from one interesting thing after another. But that's going to take some wisdom on our part, and it's also going to take people like you, Manoush, and I being almost like canaries and saying, pause, pause, society. Think about what you are doing, you as adults and you as teachers of the next generation. That was Dr. Marianne Wolf, And I have to say that because of this interview and because he loves curling up with paperbacks, I have decided not to give my seven-year-old son any e-books, even though he did get a login and an online summer reading list from the school librarian. I mean, I just feel like digital reading can come later. It will inevitably come later, right? Okay, what about us grown-ups? What's the best way for us to manage all the reading that we have to do online, at work, on the subway, on our e-readers, but to still have those deep thoughts. We went to probably the best person out there for advice. Talk about a finely honed, biliterate brain. When we come back, Maria Popova, the founder of brainpickings.org. Are people starting to skim, or is it that we just never had data on how people read analog books? Perhaps people always leave through and skip across. We just never measured that. Thank you. 
We're back. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and you're listening to New Tech City. And we're talking about reading, how reading on screens is changing our brains, the way that we think. And now you tell me, do you remember things better if you read them on paper? Because there's this really cool new European study. It came out in August. Anne Mangan of Norway's Stavanger University. She was the lead researcher. And what she did was she had 50 adults read a mystery short story. Half of the people read the paperback version. The other half read the story on a Kindle e-reader. And afterwards, they all filled out a questionnaire. And emotionally, they all reacted pretty much the same to the story. But there was a really big difference when it came to answering questions about what happened when in the story. The Kindle readers performed significantly worse on plot measure when they were asked to place 14 events that happened in the story in the correct order. So researchers think there's just something about paper, that's this tactile experience that helps us remember the chronology of a story when something happens. I find this so interesting. I mean, I completely know where to find something in the back of a book. I I remember if it's like at the top left-hand corner of the page and I can get back to it. And I just cannot do that on my tablet. I obviously have not developed fully (laughs) my biliterate brain, which is why I was so excited to visit Maria Popova, founder of Brain Pickings. I went to her apartment in Brooklyn. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm so sorry that we're late. It's okay. Now, in case you don't know her, her website has become an online must-read for bibliophiles. Like, she has posts like, here's a recent one, John Steinbeck on Falling in Love, a 1958 letter, or here's another one, T.S. Eliot on the Mythical Quality of Creativity. So what she does is she reads ridiculous amounts of books, 12 to 15 of them a week. Most of them she tries to read on her iPad, but a lot of these books are out of print, so she ends up reading them on paper because she has no other choice. The point is, though, she is reading so much, then she takes the best parts of all of these books and she brings them together in these blog posts that are really beautiful, and she does these blog posts three times a day. She is a reading machine, and she is able to keep track of all of these ideas And I just don't understand how she does it. So I went to find out. Despite what you see with the piles of books here, I actually prefer electronic reading in some regards, especially because I think there's a difference between reading as a reader and reading as a writer. So when you read a text with the intent of uh, somehow capturing that enjoyment for others or for yourself even, it's a whole different thing because then you have to rely on notes and marginalia and annotations and things that are sort of the meta text on the text. And that So you're talking about when you're reading along in something, I mean, I just saw as I walked in, a big, thick book, and you have, I mean, at least three different colors of tiny little post-its stuck into the pages, presumably Mm -hmm. marking key passages that you want to refer back to. So the George O'Keefe is actually the book you're looking at right now, which is not digital. I have a series of tabs on the side of the page, and these are um, recurring themes of some sort. They're coded. Some of them have little words on them. And in the back of the book... I have a handmade alternative index where I've pulled out some of these patterns that I'm looking at and the respective page numbers 
where these themes appear. If it were digital, I'd be able to organize that and not have to write out an analog index in the back of the page and all of that. So when it's analog, I have to do all these hacks in order to be able to organize my own thoughts on the text, and it's kind of frustrating. So just so, you know, for us productivity nerds out there, tell us Mm -hmm. what your sort of favorite reading apps or also hardware. What are your favorite things Mm -hmm. digitally to use? Oh, this this is something you might be interested in. So this is a screenshot from a some sort of Kindle page of a of a book. So it's an image of text. Then I cropped it down to the text that I actually wanted to save. And I emailed it into my Evernote email address, which is something that it assigns you that you can just email notes to yourself. Okay, Um, pause here. What she's doing is she's using a free app called Evernote that lets you sort and tag your notes, your photos, and then file them away. Maria totally loves it. But what I love is how she's sort of taken a digital tool and created what she calls her own Dewey Decimal System. We could all create our own ways of cataloging things, of of keeping our thoughts straight. Okay, so back to Maria. Uh, Then I cropped it down to the text that I actually wanted to save. And I emailed it into my Evernote email address, which is something that it assigns you that you can just email notes to yourself. Um, And the cool thing about Evernote is uh, that it has optical character recognition. So when you use the search function in Evernote, it's actually going to search images of text. So a photo of a page, it's going to find that keyword in an image, even though it's not actual text. So I don't actually have to transcribe it. But it makes me wonder, um, you know, what we sort of have been talking about with Marianne Wolf um, is this idea that people have started to skim books because they've sort of gotten used to reading online and they find that they skim when they're reading online. They're looking for sort of the highlights of things online and they're getting distracted because things are uh, things are published different ways. The, the eye can't sort of, you know, grasp onto something. It has to keep changing. It's moving around. But you're saying that you don't have that problem of skimming digital text is it because you're taking notes at the same time? So you are forcing your brain mm. to do what you do if you were sitting down with a book. Yeah, absolutely. I don't treat it any differently. But I also wanted to ask if you think that are people starting to skim or is it that we just never had data on how people read analog books? I mean, perhaps people always leave through and hop, you know, skip across. We just never measured that. And with digital, it's easier to have measurements other than self-report. You know, you can see how far people read and have all kinds of metrics that are not self-reported. Perhaps we just never really knew how people read. I think the most important thing about all of these discussions is to acknowledge the fact that printed books are half a millennium at least old, you know, counting from Gutenberg. And tablets and that, you know, it's like not even a half century. It's it's just a decade, really. And and it's a very young medium. And I my hope is that its imperfections would be addressed to such a point that the medium would no longer be of any difference. Mm-hmm, you know, that, mm-hmm. that all that matters is going to be the stories that are told and, and the text that we are able to access and the ideas that we're able to access and how we go about it would not be a matter of paper pixel. Maria, thank you so much for having us over to your place. Thank you for coming and thank you for thinking about all those very important things. That was Maria Popova, the founder and editor of the wonderful website Brain Pickings. Check it out, brainpickings.org. 
I, for one, feel fuzzy-headed when I read on my iPad for too long. I have been trying out a Google tablet, and maybe it's time to get the Kindle Paperwhite. That's what people keep saying. But, I mean, geez, how many tablets can a person have, right? Okay, I just want to leave you with a tip from our friend, that Washington Post reporter, Mike Rosenwald, on how he's been managing his reading habit. You know, if there are books that I'm reading that I really love... I'll buy them on the Kindle so I can read them commuting or whatever. But then I, I actually go and buy the print copy. Yeah. And for now, I have decided that I will only look at paper in the evenings. It is not good for my eyes to be looking at a screen. Nighttime is the right time for some old school reading for me. But I want to know, how do you do it? What about your kids? What are your reading rules? Let me know on Twitter at Manoush Z or in the comments at NewTechCity.org. While you're there, take a sec and hit the nice green subscribe button. It means a lot to us. And then you will automatically get next week's show, which is about music and backing tracks, what they are, and how they're making some bands feel kind of bad about themselves. When it comes down to it, playing to a track can actually suck like a lot. So uh, would it be fair to say that you're settling for it? (laughs) Yeah, it would be fair to say that we're settling for it. That's absolutely what's happening. Okay, but I feel really good about backing tracks because I got to indulge my songwriting fantasies for next week's show. I'm telling you, you do not want to miss it. Convincing someone to follow you. Do you just say what you think they want to hear? It's gonna be good. And guess what? You could pick the topic of an upcoming show. Email us your ideas of stories you think that need to be told. NewTechCity at WNYC.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City. One thing that I found with books is that they are the original internet, because even in this book alone, there are so many footnotes and allusions and citations, and each of them is a hyperlink to another text. And I've gone that rabbit hole. You know, I've had books that that book led me to another book, led me to another book, and somehow I ended up with a pile of 20 new books that started with, you know, somebody's (laughs) diary. That's kind of like the internet, but you can't get so caught up in it, you know? It's more like a life lesson. I'm trying to enjoy the journey, (laughs) not the destination.